Good morning, folks. Uh, this morning's reading is from Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to be starting at verse 16, and we're going to be reading through to the end. So, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through to the end there. And we're doing the Great Commission this morning. Now, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came, to, came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm just going to pray quickly before John comes to, to speak to us this morning. Father, thanks for bringing us all here again this morning. Father, as things may open up again and schools and sport and, and life just seems to be getting busier and busier again, Father, I pray now that you'll just settle us. You'll just still our minds from all the, the madness that goes on through the week, Father, that we may be our hearts may be open, our minds may be settled, Father, to, to spend time with you, with our church family this morning, and to hear your word been preached to us. Father, I pray you'll just give John the words. Just give John the words that you want us to hear this morning. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pete. Morning, everyone. Morning. We're still in morning, are we? Yeah, still morning. Uh, Today we are continuing our series, Life in the Ordinary, and as if you've been with us for any length of time over the last few weeks, uh, you'll know that we're in this short series in the ordinary means of grace. And I've been to great pains to explain what, what, these, what, ordinary mean, what the ordinary means of grace actually mean. They are, we started out our series in Acts 2, where the early church met, and we saw there what the early church did. And so that pattern has been set out for us very early on in the life of the church that we are to follow. You can remember we've been through this series. We set it up in Acts 2. We then moved to the Word read and preached. We then last week we looked at communion. And this week we are moving on to another third uh, ordinary means of grace, baptism. Today we're going to be looking at baptism. I want to start out by, by telling you a story about Martin Luther. Mar not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther the Reformer of the 1500s. Uh, and if any of you know anything about the Reformation or what happened there, you'll have known Martin Luther was a main figure in that. But if you've read anything about him, watched any of his biographies or anything, you will already know that many times during Martin Luther's life, he struggled with anxiety, he struggled with depression, and he struggled with this self-loathing. But shortly after his unwillingness, he went through a tough time, uh, shortly after his unwillingness to re renounce what he believed uh, in front of an imperial meeting, known, which was known after as the, the, the Diet of Worms. It's not actually, if anybody wants to go and Google that later, it's not actually where he at Worms. Uh, it is called the Diet of Worms because that's where they met. Uh, Luther was taken away. He was shunned. He refused to recount or recount what he believed. He was taken away. He was uh, put in a, in, a, in a castle somewhere in the middle of Germany, where later he would translate 
the Bible into German. But it was a difficult time for Martin Luther, a hard time. Uh, the church at the time had condemned him, labeling him heretic. Uh, he was alone for many of his days. Uh, Luther fought demons, both historians would tell us, both literal and figurative. And at one point in Luther's journey in this castle that he was taken to, at one point he is thought to have taken an ink pot and thrown it, literally thrown it across the room, threw it across the room at a demon that he had been confronted with. But what's interesting about Luther's response to these demons that he was confronted with, both literal and figurative, was what he said was what he said. This is apparently what Luther would shout out loud when confronted by these demons. He would shout out loud, Baptizatus sum. Baptizatus sum. What that means is, I have been baptized. I have been baptized. That was Luther's response to being confronted with demons, to shout at them, I have been baptized. Tim Chester writes, his circumstances looked bleak, but his baptism was a fact. And it embodied the promise of God on his life. When times were most tough, Luther held, leaned on the sacraments as a promise that he was saved, no matter what the demons would whisper in his ear. So that's why these things are important. That's why baptism is important. And so, when we're talking about baptism this morning, I don't want, you to, I don't want us to think, oh, well, John, you know, we're coming to this with baptism. I know everything about baptism that there is to know. What, 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 what else can we know? You're in the water, you're out of the water, hey, presto, that's baptism. No. What I want us to think this morning is big thoughts, because when we're talking about baptism, we're not just talking about some uh, church ritual. We're not talking about church tradition. What we're talking about when we're talking about baptism is what Christ has done for us, His magnificent work of salvation. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about salvation, Him dying for our sins, rising for our justification. So, no small thoughts this morning when we come to this issue of baptism. Have great big thoughts about the reality of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, crucified to bear our sins, rising again to ensure our justification so that we could be right with God. That's what we're considering here this morning when we talk about baptism. Right. If you've been around church, churches of any sort, of any kind, for any amount of time, you will know that there is much debate about baptism. There's much debate about the form that it takes. There's much debate about how much water you use. There is much debate about where it should be done. There is much debate about many, many things when it comes to baptism, just like communion that we talked about last week. But in the church, there are predominantly two views on baptism. Two views. One is infant baptism, known as pedo-baptism, and the other one is known as credo-baptism, basically believer's baptism. So, there are the two predominant views when it comes to baptism. Now, what I want to do this morning, and you'll be buzzing about this, no doubt, what I want to do 
is very quickly outline both positions, right? I don't know everybody in the room or where they stand on, on, on these things. So what I want to do is outline both positions as fairly as I can and then tell you where we land as a church, all right? You excited about this? I can tell. I, I, I know. I can see, oh, John, oh, John, if I had a new, if I had only known, I would have brought all the world with me because we we're talking about baptism. No, right, but it needs to be done because it's important, because it's important, right? So what we're going to do is outline both positions because they are a means of grace, right? Let's go. Infant baptism. First thing I want to say about this is this. There are many theologians way smarter than me. That, and I, know you're, I know what you're thinking. Wouldn't be difficult, John. Wouldn't be difficult. But way smarter than me, whom I admire greatly, who I would consider to be some of my like, mentors in the faith, if you want books to read and people to go to, who believe in infant baptism. Let me name you a couple. Let me just name you a couple of people who believe in infant baptism. Tim Keller. Most of you will know who Tim Keller is. He's flipping Yoda, all right? He is the Yoda of the, this, the church world right now. If you want to know anything about theology or anything about preaching, Tim Keller's your man, right? If Pete makes preaches, it's mostly Tim Keller, all right? Just let's be honest. Uh, I get wee messages every now and again from, <laughs> from Pete a wee quote from Keller and him saying Keller must have wrote this when he was on the toilet this morning so stuff just he's brilliant Tim Keller believes in infant baptism Ray Ortland, another uh, well known theologian pastor Scott Sauls TJ Timms Kevin DeYoung and two of the reformers John Calvin and Martin Luther all believed theologically in infant baptism right so so that I don't misquote or misrepresent, what I'm going to do is read from one of those people what they believe about infant baptism, all right? So, this is really exciting. I, can, I definitely know that you're enthralled. Right, let's go. This is what Kevin DeYoung says about infant baptism. It is a great privilege to administer the sacrament of baptism to one of our little infants. We do not believe that there is anything magical about the water that we apply to the child. The water does not wash away original sin or save the child. We do not presume that this child is regenerate, though it may be. Basically, that means saved, though it may be. Nor do we believe that every child who gets baptized will automatically go to heaven. We baptize infants not out of superstition or tradition or because we like cute babies. We baptize infants because they are, and here's the really important phrase when it comes to, to infant baptism, and, and you, need to, you need to listen to this because of what I'm going I'm to explain it and it's going to wrap it all up, right? We believe because they are covenant children and should receive the sign of the covenant. In Genesis 15, God made a covenant with Abraham. This covenant was sealed with the sign of circumcision. God promised to bless Abraham. For Abraham, this meant two things, offspring and land. But at the heart of the covenant was God's promise that he would be the God of Abraham and his children. Right. That's Kevin DeYoung, a person who believes in infant baptism, right? Then I got this from a, from a Presbyterian Church website, and it explains it again. It says this, 
Presbyterians believe that it is appropriate for Christian parents to have their child baptized because of God's covenant with Abraham. You see a pattern? It's the Abrahamic covenant, all right? The sign of the covenant was given not only to Abraham who believed, but also to Abraham's children. We believe that in the New Testament, the promise of the covenant are extended to all true believers and to their children. Baptism does not mean that the child immediately becomes a Christian. Here's a wee phrase that's important. Although salvation is promised. In time, children must trust and believe in Jesus Christ for themselves. Right. To wrap it up, that phrase, covenant, children of the covenant, covenant children, is really important when it comes to infant baptism. Because what those who believe in infant baptism believe is that Christian parents can have their child baptized as children of the covenant. All right? That's, that's it. That's it wrapped up. And that one day salvation, as, as said there by uh, a Presbyterian church website, salvation is promised. Right. All I'm going to say on this is this. There is no text in the New Testament, not one, to support that. All right? Not one. If you know of one, please tell me, because I can't find it. There's no text. So what that is, is called an argument from silence. All right? There's no text to back it up, but what they believe is that because the, the sign of the covenant in the Old Testament was circumcision, the sign of the covenant in the New Testament is baptism. And so their believing parents receive the sign of the covenant, baptism. As I say, there is no text in the New Testament to support that. That's all I'm going to say about that. So are you as clear as you can be on infant baptism? If anybody asks you this afternoon, why, why do people, why, why do the people get the children baptized? You'll be able to answer them, right? Yeah, yeah. No, Jeff, I have not done a good enough job. That's as simple as I can put it, Jeff. I can't put it. <laughs> right, moving on. Believer's baptism, credo baptism. Let me outline the position. Believer's baptism is exactly as it says on the tin. That, it literally is. It is when someone comes to faith in Christ, then they proceed to be baptized by immersion. The word baptism in and of itself in the Greek means immersion. All right? Now, I'm not going to get into how much water you use. I'm not going to get into that debate. But the word baptismo in the Greek means immersion. Immersion means to go under the water. All right? That's what the Greek means. So, that's what it literally means. So, I want to give you some scripture then, whereas the other position, as I say, is, a, is, a, is an argument from silence. I want to give you some scripture to, to back up the, the believer's baptism point of view. The Great Commission. Jesus, before he leaves the earth, says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, doing what? Baptize them. Right? Make disciples. When you make disciples, you baptize them. Acts 2, the passage that we read to set this whole series up, those who accepted this message were what? 
baptized. 3,000. Can you imagine that for a baptismal service? 3,000 new believers. Once they came to Christ, they were baptized. Seems immediate. Acts 8, verse 12. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Acts 10. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. There's just one out of Matthew, three out of Acts, and then I'm just going to say this. This is the last one. Jesus' own baptism. Jesus' own baptism. We're told in the New Testament why Jesus was baptized, and it was this, so that he may fulfill all righteousness. That's the reason we're given, so that he may fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus, in his own baptism, was setting forth this example that was to be carried out by the church that was to come after him. Yeah? You with me? You get both perspectives? Right. Good. Let me, land, let me tell you where we land. So, where do we fall on this as a church? We as a church, and I can categorically, I've, I've cleared this, both elders were in the first service, so I categorically cleared this with both elders. We as a church fall into the category of believing in believer's baptism. That's where we are. All right? That's where we are by immersion. Now, I said it in the first service, we have progressed in our how and ways in the few years we have been a church in many, many different capacities. We started off by putting people in the Irish Sea, right? We then progressed to a paddling pool, blow up paddling pool. We then went from there to a cattle trough, right? Hashtag rural church plan. Uh, then we went from, from, from there, now we've upgraded to a hot tub. Can you see the natural trajectory? We're going up we're going up, all right? It's getting better all the time, right? So we, we believe in, in believers' baptism by immersion, right? But why do we baptize at all? If this is such a divisive issue, why, why, just, why just not do it? This has been an issue that has divided the church over centuries. Like, I... I, I get asked this question often, like, why, why, on the reform side of things, why is there like 1,500 denominations? This would be one of the reasons. This would be one of the main reasons. This is why there's a denomination called Baptists. And many other denominations come from this issue. Why do it? Why do it at all? If it causes such division and such strife, why bother? Well, here's the simple answer. Because Jesus told us to. Because Jesus told us to. This is one of two ordinances that Jesus explicitly left the church to do. Communion, that we looked at last week, and baptism. Both are symbols, and purely symbols, of a spiritual reality. They in and of themselves have no bearing on salvation, but they are symbols of what has already taken place in the life of a person. So why baptize? Because Jesus ordained it. We believe that it is an ordinance of the Lord, and what we mean by that is that Jesus commanded it. 
He commanded it as an ongoing practice for the church. As I say, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And here's a point I want to labor just for a moment. It's this. Baptism is not just a good idea. Baptism is not just an added optional extra. Baptism is a command from Jesus. Look at the flow of the passage of the Great Commission. All authority, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples, baptize them. It is not an optional extra for the life of a believer. It is a command from King Jesus. And what should believers, what should followers do with commands from King Jesus? We should do them. We should do them. And there's no, you know, I know everybody is in different circumstances. A lot of people come from different church backgrounds. I get that. And there have been, like, I'll just tell you a story about our first our first baptismal service. It was up at uh, Sandy Lawrence Cranfield, RSC. I would say, I think, we, I think we baptized 15, if I can remember correctly, 15 people, right? 90% of them were Presbyterians. Now, that doesn't mean that because they waited for a wee while before they got baptized, that their baptism is, is irrelevant. It doesn't mean that. They were being obedient to what they thought theologically, and they changed their views theologically, and that, that's fair enough. But what I would say is this. There doesn't seem to be a gap in the New Testament from believing to being baptized. You don't have to be, you know, look, 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 at, the look at some of the texts that I, that I quoted there from Acts. From Acts. Those who accepted the message were baptized straight away. No messing. And when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom, they were baptized, both men and women. There's no time lag. So if you're in here today and you haven't been baptized and, and, and you're thinking about it, can I, could I strongly urge you to, to consider it? To, because I, I, I say this from a place of conviction. I genuinely believe if you haven't been baptized as a believer, you're living in disobedience to a command from King Jesus. And there is no such thing as being good for a certain amount of time or proving that you're a believer for a certain amount of time until you get baptized. It's not there. It's just not there. So I strongly urge you, if you're thinking about it at all, go for it. See me, see one of the elders, we will sort it out. We'll make it happen. Because it is a command from Jesus, and it's in obedience that we do it. Right. So that's why, because Jesus has told us. What happens, though, in our baptism? What happens? What's going on? 
why does, G, why does God give us this symbolic act at all? Well, I think there's three things that are happening, three statements that are being made, right? If you follow with me, three statements that are being made. There's a statement between God and us at our baptism. There's a statement between us and God at our baptism. And then there's a statement between what's going on and the world around us. All right? Three statements between God and us, us and God, and to the world around us. So what are they? What is God saying to us through baptism, through this beautiful act of baptism? He is communicating something to us. Because every stage of baptism represents the gospel. Think about it. I explain it every time we do a baptism service, what's going on. There's nothing magical in and of, of the act. There's nothing, you know, going to happen. The skies aren't going to open and, you know, doves aren't going to descend and stuff like that. But there's communication going on. We're communicating a message, and the message of the gospel is represented at every stage. Think about it. Those who go under the water, that is symbolic for them dying to themselves dying to their own sin, and being plunged under the, under the blood of Jesus for washing. It's symbolic. Rising up out of the water is symbolic of rising to new life here on earth and in the future, new life in eternity. Every stage there is a message being proclaimed. But God is saying something to us in that message that is way more significant. And it's this that in our baptism, we are unified with Christ. We are unified with Christ. Romans 6 says this, baptism expresses our union with Christ in His death and resurrection. It says this, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. We were buried, therefore, with Him. All of this union, being united with Him, we were buried with Him, therefore, with Him by our baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in newness of life. You see, baptism is a symbol of our unity with Jesus. How many men are in here married? Jeff had to think about it. Justice, oh. How, how many? Stick your hands up. How many are you wearing wedding rings? Not everybody. Bad children. Right? Now, does that make me married? No. It is a symbol of me being married. Just as baptism is a symbol of us being unified with Christ. Right. You look thrilled with that. And here's the big thing that I want you to get today. Right? This is the big picture. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to give you a warning today. If you're a note taker or you're taking mental notes, whatever it may be, some of you look as if you're doing mental something, but uh, if you're taking notes in your head or whatever you're doing, this is the big picture. This is the main thing today that I want you to get. I want us to understand this, that our union with Christ is the most important thing. 
That is the most important thing. Because we could flippantly say, oh yeah, we're united with Christ, blah, blah. But what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Because we're going to leave here today, and we're going to go into our, our worlds, and we're going to go into our workplaces tomorrow, and we're going to lose the plot with somebody. Or somebody's going to bug us, and we're going to lose it. And we're going to say something we shouldn't have said. Or some of us are going to want to kill children at some stage in the next few days. That's going to be a desire, right? And, and some of us, but we sin during the week, and we're, we're rotten people, right? And, but, so what does our union with Christ mean? How is it significant? Well, it's significant for two reasons. And the, and the first reason is this. There is no salvation, no salvation without being unified to Christ. None. We can only be saved if we have been united with Jesus. Because He takes our debt, gives us His righteousness, and we're together. I read again this week, uh, Man of Sorrows, not the Hillsong version, the original version, and it says this, Man of Sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place condemned he stood. Union with Christ, right there, wrapped up in a verse. In my place, condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Without being unified with Christ, there is no salvation. Second, and here's the bit where it really matters, as in how we play out our weeks every week. Because as I say, you'll go out of here, you'll go into life, you'll sin, you will doubt your own salvation. Anybody else do that? No, just me. Anybody else on a Tuesday afternoon when things aren't going right and you're wanting to break things and you're like, am I even a Christian? Here's where this union with Christ matters. Your union with Christ is unbreakable. Unbreakable. Here's words that I think I'm going to incorporate into every single week of Cornerstone. And these are words that we need to hear. And you need to hear them. I need to hear them. But I don't just need to hear them. I need to apply them to myself. And I need you to apply them to your hearts and take them into your hearts and, and rest on these words, folks. John 6, 35, 37, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. And here's the most, uh, uh, this verse, if you go home with this verse today, just do this. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. Amen. I will not cast out. Your union with Christ is unbreakable. No matter what you do, no matter what you think, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no, it doesn't matter. If you're unified with Christ, it is unbreakable. Unbreakable. And you need to know that on a Wednesday morning when things aren't going right. Cling on to that. Cling on to that. 
That's what we're saying. That's what God is saying to us in our baptism. You're mine. You're mine. What are we saying to God through our baptism? Well, we are saying the opposite. We're His. Baptism is our public declaration that we are no longer our own, but we are Christ's. Paul says in his letter to the Galatians, For as many of you as were baptized have put on Christ. Through baptism we are declaring that we are no longer our own, but we are the Lord's. Thirdly, one, what God says to us, two, what we say to God, and thirdly, what we're saying to the world Baptism and a baptismal gathering, I think, is probably one of the greatest tools, evangelical tools, in the church's armor. I think it is one of the greatest evangelical tools in the church's armor. Why? Why? Because, and before I get into this, I just wanted to take a wee look around the room. Just look. See when, I, see when I say that and people don't do it? I'm not saying it for the crack. I literally want you to look at each other. Right? What we're saying to the world around us when we go through the waters of baptism is that I am a messed up person. I am messed up. I am broken, I am flawed, I have many, many things that are not right with me. But God, in His mercy and in His grace and in His love, has made a way that I can be made right with God. And if I can be made right with God, there's no one beyond the pale. What an evangelical message. As I say, we have baptism services and people invite their friends and their family, and I think that's brilliant. Because who knows that you're messed up more than those who are closest to you? Your family and your friends. And we are all messed up. But in, that, in those moments of baptism, we are, we're not declaring that we have it all together. We're not declaring that, that, that we're somehow now brilliant people. We're not. We are declaring that we're sinners saved by a gracious God. And this is a symbol of it. An important note on this. Only, only believers can say that. Only believers can say that they're, not, they're broken, they're flawed, they're, they're failures and in, in, maybe in many, many areas of life. But they have a gracious God who saved them. Only believers can say that. So, baptism is only for, in my eyes, believers. I don't, I don't care why you're an infant and you can't say that, because you can't, literally, you can't say that. Or you're an adult and you're a non-believer, because you can't say it either. I'm not, that's not a sly dig at infant baptism, just in case you're wondering. 
might be a wee bit, but uh, right. only believers can make that statement. I'm flawed, but I have a Savior who saved me. Folks, baptism is important. Why? Because Jesus commanded us to do it. Commanded us to do it. That's why we do it. What does it say? We have that beautiful picture of God saying to us that we are unified with Christ. You, you don't know, I don't know, how rich we are here sitting this morning. And we may have scratch off. Because if you're a believer, you are unified with the creator of all things and the sustainer of all things. Cling on to that. Don't let that go. We say that we're not our own, but we have put on Christ. And we declare publicly to the world around us about what God can do to a messed up sinner. Save them, redeem them, and secure them forever. That's why baptism is important. So again, if you have not been baptized as a believer and want to be, please see us. We will make it happen. Who knows what format it might take this time? Who knows? I don't know if we can up. I, don't, I genuinely don't know if we can up the hot tub. I'm not sure. But we'll make it happen because it's important. But I do want to say this as we finish. How good would it be if we were to leave here today and take the gospel message to those around us of Jesus coming, giving his life, dying on a cross, rising to new life again. How good would it be if we took that message out to the world and then all of the people who then believed were brought in and were baptized? That's the goal here, folks. Let's not lose the focus. That's the goal. People meeting Jesus. All right? How good would it be if there was baptismal services every week? every other week. That's the goal. That's the goal. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word again. Thank you for this great commission that you've given us to go. Go. Make disciples. Father, I pray you'll help us to do that this week. I pray you'll help us take, take us from here and help us to share the good news of the gospel so that we would have the, the problem of too many people wanting to be baptized. Give us that, we pray. Give us the, the problem of not knowing how or where or when or whatever. Give us the problem of people coming to salvation in Christ, seeking baptism. We love you. We thank you for the message that it proclaims. We thank you for your Son, who loves us and cares for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.